Hi, I'm Tommy, a native New Yorker who's lived all over the country, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Lizzie, a Texan living in New York. And this is the State State of Quo, a state-by-state guide to our crazy country. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Lizzie. Long time no see. No, it's been a while. How was your trip? It was stressful. I went to Texas. My sister had surgery. She's okay. Uh, but I spent three nights on a hotel, or not a hotel, a hospital recliner, and it was not restful. I can imagine. Well, um, Lizzie's sister, I hope you're recovering, and good luck with your recovery. And if you meet a crazy Italian lady one day in Dallas, you know, you'll know it's my aunt, because, you know, it's obvious. You'll get to meet Bentley pretty soon. She's coming up next month for... To visit. Oh, right on. Cool. And then she'll be up for Christmas. So what are we doing this week? Today we're doing Arizona. 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 The iced tea, not beans, but the state. The state, Arizona. The 49th state in the union. And 49th? It was the 49th state. Did you state. Google it? I did. Well, also I did. I, I had a short stint living in Arizona. Tell me about that. Oh, God. I don't know if I can. There's restraining orders. <laughs> Uh, are you a gag order (laughs) are you maybe an nda non-disclosure agreement with arizona there you go um so i lived in arizona in the mid-2000s and i was traveling with my ex and then we were falling apart and then i started talking to this other person and i decided to stay there with this other person because it's, it's a typical thing. And, you know, when you're in your early 20s and you're restless and your life is unmanageable and, you know, that that kind of stuff that you do, you know, co-codependent, you know, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. But so I ended up staying out there. I lived in Tucson for a year and a half and then Phoenix for six months. And after six months of Phoenix, I just was like, it's hot. It's really hot so i decided to come back to new york well that's a that's fair enough um so actually speaking of phoenix my story takes place near phoenix and mesa okay so no here's some just some some quick facts. oh wait are we doing who's going first well i'm just going to do some quick facts about oh okay good okay the u.s acquired the region under the terms of the 1848 treaty of guadalupe hidalgo and the 1853 Gaddison Purchase, Arizona became the 48th state, excuse me, in 1912. And by the 1880s, the Arizona Territory was bustling with fortune seekers hoping to strike it rich. Now, Arizona is known for its copper mines and for fool's gold. Ah. Foreshadowing. Ah. Uh, um, so wait, it's the 48th state. What's the 49th state? I know Alaska is the 50th. No, wait, Alaska. Alaska's 49 and Hawaii's 50. Uh, Hawaii's 50. That's it. My bad. Oh, and correction, I apologize. Um, New York is the 30th largest state. So I want to apologize for my little factoid incorrection there from New York's episode. And, you know, good advice to not accept information from corrections officers. Oh my gosh. Oh, the web I weave. So am I going first? Because you went first last time. Mine's a story of love. These two people, I think, found it. Um, 
I got most of my information from um, Huffington Post articles by David Lohr. He was great. He covered the story. And then from a 48 Hours episode special on love. It was called Picture Perfect. So let me just uh, paint a picture. I like painting word pictures. A young man, his name is Travis Alexander. He was born in 1970. Um, he was born into a family of seven children. One thing that was really sad, he had a sad upbringing. Um, so when you find love, it's really sweet because especially if you've had a sad upbringing, he was born into a family of seven children. Both his parents were meth addicts and his parents divorced and they had to live with their mother who was, um, struggling very badly with addiction. And so when he was 11, his uh, grandparents took all the children. And from there on, he had pretty good upbringing. He moved to Arizona with his grandparents. And that's where he became a member of the Latter-day Saints, the, the, church, the Mormon church. And as he grew up, he became what they thought were what was well-adjusted. And he became a salesman and a motivational speaker for a company called Prepaid Legal Services. And it was a company that would sell insurance and provide legal services to those who didn't have the means to uh, pay for them. Like, you know, it, it was basically charitable, but there was also, you know, money element, but he, he had a good job. So he... People loved him. People thought he was great. People thought he was well-adjusted, especially considering his, you know, his tough past. And in 2007, he met a, a woman named Jody Arias. They met, uh, they met at a conference, a PPL conference. She was a photographer and she did some work for them and um, they started dating. So they dated on and off for about a year and a half. Um, and part of it was because it was a long distance relationship. He was in Mesa, Arizona, and she was in Wairica, California. And she was a photographer. She was this beautiful blonde and they seemed to be in love. He was excited about her. She converted to Mormonism for him. She really thought that, she, did you just Google it? Go ahead. Sorry. Tommy just ruined my beautiful love story by Googling Jody Arias's name. I. Okay. I haven't read all the details, but it's coming back to me now. And oh my gosh. Okay. As I've seen, I've seen when you said 48 hour specials, I'm just like. Oh, it's, it's the 48 hour special on love. Okay. <laughs> so I saw the look on his face, listener, and. I knew he Googled it. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> he couldn't Sorry. just wait for me to get to the punchline, which is not a very good punchline. It's more of a stab line. Uh, anyways, so she was baptized in the LDS church, um, and they began dating in February of 2007. They were dating like pretty solidly for about five months, and then they were engaged in a sexual relationship, which was very hard for Travis because as a Latter-day Saint, he did not believe in premarital sex. And it came out later, according to Jody, that they engaged in anal sex, which is not, I guess, against the Mormon rules that only vaginal sex was, which I, I think that is not true. 
there are a lot of things that she said that are probably not true. So growing up in New York, I've known quite a few girls that basically were like, and I mean, and, and now I'm a, I'm a gold card gay. I've never gone all the way with a girl, you know, but growing up, I've known of a lot of girls that were literally, they would be willing to do either straight oral only and or anal because they believed that they had to save their virginity. And I don't understand that. Yeah, as long yeah. as there's no vaginal penetration, it's not a sexual oral. But listen, sex is sex, oral sex, anal sex. Exactly. Sex is sex. And as a person, I can say this, you know, for a person who's engaged in plenty of, you know. Sex. Sex. Like, <laughs> for, on my side of the table, like, it's a little more efficient that way. <laughs> it's not designed to expand for reproduction. So, you know what I mean? Like, Fair point. Fair sorry. point, Tommy. Okay, no, sorry. there's no need to be sorry. <laughs> this is our podcast. We can be as dirty as we want. Okay. Okay. Oh, actually, okay. So she, she and Travis met in September 2006, and then they started dating in early 2007. So they were dating... And then Travis seemed, okay, well, number one, Travis is 30. He's still young and he wants to date around. And still a virgin? Allegedly, no. Well, he's still a vagina, vagina, still a vagina virgin, I guess. Um, oh, boy. But so. Got more ass than I have. According <laughs> to the 48, according to the 48 hours uh, special, they, they broke up. And, or they were kind of seeing each other. They weren't serious. And she was introducing herself as his girlfriend. And he was like kind of weird about that. And so she started suspecting that he was not being faithful in their relationship that I think that she perceived as more serious than he did. And so she got up and on his, got up and on his phone and saw text messages between him and other women. And she did not like that. So they broke up. You know what? I completely changed my mind about her now. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You deserve to die if you're texting other women. Spoiler alert, Travis dies. So she they break up. She moves back to Wairika, California. I really when I in my notes I had to spell it out because I had to spell it out phonetically because it's hard. Anyways, she she moves back and then they break okay. Sorry, I need to back up a little bit. I should have printed out my notes. I should have printed out my notes. When I don't print out my notes, this is what happens. So, lesson learned. Oh, Tommy's ruffling his papers. He printed out his notes this time. We we switched roles. <laughs> okay. So they they're together. They're in this long distance relationship. Then they break up, and she decides to move to Mesa to be closer to him after they break up. So according to Travis's friends, they were broken up, but according to Jody, they were still getting it on. So they were having, they had a sexual relationship beyond their official boyfriend and girlfriend relationship, which happens all the time. So eventually Jody moves back to Wairika, but they were still 
having long distance, you know, phone conversations. They were still kind of seeing each other. They would go on trips together. They were entangled. They were entangled. Exactly. And so this is when things start getting weird because they were officially broken up. And in June of 2008, Jody is kind of seeing another Mormon guy and his name is Ryan and he lives in Utah. So she rents a car from Yreka, drives to LA to visit friends, and then on June 2nd, she's meant to drive to Utah to visit Ryan, this new possible dude that she wants to get it on with. Well, according to Jody, she got a call from Travis, and or she called him, and they were, he was like, well, since you're already on this way, why don't you stop in Mesa, Arizona, and come visit me? And she was like, Okay. That top you off. Right. And then and it should be known that he was supposed to go on a trip to Cancun later in the month, like June fifteenth. And she originally was his plus one and then he changed it to a different girl. There are reports that say that she was very jealous, that she slashed his tires and another girl he was with tires a couple times, that she would hack into his voicemail, that she would hack into his email, and she was kind of like a stage five clinger and stalker. According to the report, on, on June 4th, Jody goes to visit Travis before she goes and visits this new guy, Ryan. And they were together and she had the camera and they were taking pictures and they were doing a photo shoot. That's right. You document the happiness so you can... Don't be trying to play like you don't know me and when I roll up on the street and I see you outside and sitting outside of the restaurant because I will blow up your spot. That is right. And she would show pictures. So there were pictures of him in the shower and the water falling on him. She was very artistic. I've seen the pictures. They weren't that good. No offense. Jody. I'm sure you're a really good photographer when you're not under duress. So the next thing we know, it's June 9th and... Travis's roommates are worried about him because they hadn't heard from him. They thought he was out of town. His bedroom door was locked. They were in this like 5,000 square foot house. They were all sharing and he had the master suite. But they became worried because nobody had heard from him. So his roommates get into the master bedroom and there is blood everywhere. Everywhere. So they call the police, call 911. And he's dead in the bathtub. He's dead in the shower. He has been stabbed 27 to 29 times. His throat has been slit from ear to ear. And he has been shot in the head. There are times where I hear the crazy and I relate to the emotional distress of the like, like, okay, let me put it out there. I had my heart broken. I'll have, you know, I've had my emotional temper tantrums where like, you know, like I'll, you know, like I've broken a dish or like, you know, like I've, I've wanted to like kill a teddy bear, you know, but like I've never wanted to hurt the person that was causing me pain because of whatever, you know what I mean? Like I never wanted to like physically harm them. Wait a second, Tommy. You are assuming that Jody had something to do with this. Why are you assuming? Because she rented a car. She stopped over at Travis's and then she went and met her new friend Ryan in Utah. She didn't call the police. She rents her car. She drives from Wairika to LA 
She stops at Mesa, says, hey, take some pictures. And then she goes and sees Ryan in Utah. Now, Ryan did testify later that all of a sudden she dyed her hair from this beautiful blonde to dark brown. And she had cuts all over her hands. But she broke a glass, Tommy. She broke a glass, and that's why her hands were cut. Okay. So I don't know why you're assuming. Because she didn't call the cops. Nobody knows that she was there. Except they do. <laughs> and I think I have an idea of what happens with Ryan. So this is what happened. The cops see blood everywhere. They spent like three weeks processing the crime scene. And they found a bloody handprint on the wall, the hallway from the master bedroom to the uh, master bathroom. I'm going to uncross my legs so I might bang some shit. Hold on. Okay. Edit that out, Lizzie. Mark. Anyways, um, there's a bloody handprint. And it indicates, and there were two different uh, blood. There was blood on uh, from from Travis and from an unknown person. So then they found a SIM card in the dryer from a camera and there are photos of Ryan and they're all timestamped and there are photos of Ryan. I mean, not Ryan of Travis, an SD card rather. There are photos of Travis, Travis in the shower. There are photos of Jody. She's naked on the bed and suggestive poses. They were having a great weekend. Was he hot? Yes. And there were, Googling. Also photos of his dead body. <gasps> and so that's not good. That's that's not good at all. But what ends up happening is they've discovered that Jody's blood was there. The handprint was her had her blood. There was hair that matched her hair. And the pictures were taken by Jody and there were pictures of Jody so they they placed her at the crime scene so they arrested her but <laughs> thankfully 48 hours was there and they did an interview with her and she told 48 hours that she was there and they were victims of a home invasion so um i'm looking at a picture of Travis he's okay he was cute i think he was cute Rest in peace, Travis. Maybe I think he was cuter than he actually was because he's dead now. And he was a victim of this home invasion. Mm. So <laughs> Jody says, tells the interviewers on 48 hours that she was there. She was driving to go visit Ryan in Utah. And she was talking to Travis. And Travis said, come by, stop by. So she just pops over to Mesa. It's not even out of the way. Pops over to Mesa and they're spending the weekend together and two people show up. And they were in ski masks and they were dressed in all black. It was a man and a woman. And they started attacking them. And they stabbed Travis and they had a gun and they put a gun to her face. And she doesn't know how they didn't even kill her. But she ran out and she got in her rental car and she drove as fast as she could until she got to the middle of the desert and she was freaking out. And then she went to Utah to visit Ryan. She made it there on time. And she didn't say anything. And she didn't call the police. And she didn't do any of that because um, she was in shock. She was scared. Well, she, or, or she was waiting for her arm to stop cramping up. From all of the fist pumps that she did in 
pure fear and sadness that she was shaking her fist at God. That's why she was waiting for her fist to stop cramping. (laughs) So she's arrested, charged with first degree murder. And she says, there's, I just misunderstood. Uh, (laughs) So she hires a defense team and they put in a plea of self-defense. And you're like, wait, wait a second. I thought there was a home invasion. (laughs) Well, she was lying about that. And she came clean. Like, she was super honest. She was lying about about there being a home invasion. She just was scared because she was in an abusive relationship with Travis. He was an abuser. He was physically, emotionally, sexually abusive to her. And she dropped his camera. You know, during the photo shoot, she dropped his camera on the floor and he started coming at her. And so she had to kill him in self-defense. She had to stab him 27 times, slit his throat, and shoot him and in the shoot head. him in the face. Actually, she said the shooting was accidental. She dropped the gun and it went off and hit him in the face. You know what's funny, though, is that according to the medical examiner, the gunshot wasn't what killed him. It was a stab to the heart. But listen, when someone's coming at you and you stab them and they stop, you just have to make sure and keep stabbing them and stabbing them and stabbing them. So obviously uh, in Arizona, they seek the death penalty. Um, Jody, uh, Jody was interesting. She fired her original defense team. She wanted to, wanted to represent herself. Which, God, I love it when criminals defend themselves. Innocent. I love it when they do that. It is so much fun because it's horrible. Like, you know, they're lawyers for a reason. Um, But then she kind of chickened out and she hired a new defense team. And this is what's great. So, And by the way, the trial doesn't start taking place until like the end of 2012. It took four years because she had to be extradited from California to Arizona. And then they had, you know, all the legal stuff the jury selection three jurors were dismissed um, during the trial one because they were making derogatory statements about Jody to other jurors during the trial which isn't allowed and two other for undisclosed reasons but so so there again the defense's argument is self-defense and the prosecution is like um uh that's dumb We can prove that she was there. We can prove that she went there on her own volition. We have tons of witnesses testifying that Travis was not abusive. And that's not to say that he wasn't. Like, he might have been. Yeah, he could have been a douche. You know, you don't know. You never know. And that's why I want to be careful because – and one thing that pisses me off about this because, spoiler alert, I think she's guilty. It pisses me off that women or men would use this defense – when there are actual people who do kill because they're being abused, there's battered women's syndrome. There's, there's real instances where this happens and it really bothers me. It makes me really mad when somebody uses this. But now let's look at it from this perspective though. Like we know that there are people that literally are in these situations, right? Like there's a case going on like this here in New York recently that they're trying to see if this woman can, um, 
if her sentence can be adjusted because she qualifies for battered woman syndrome and because she murdered her husband and everything. And, you know, from people that I've talked to that knew her personally, you know, they can, they've told me about the 911 calls, the bruises, the broken jaw, like the stuff like, like this woman really did. And she's still looking at like 17 years and they're trying to get the sentence reduced. And these are people that I know that this is like one's her best friend who, you know, I went with her to a fundraiser for to raise like funds for her law defense and everything. And I'm not going to say the names or anything, but like these things really do happen, you know. And, you know, the thing is, is that somebody who's willing to do this. You know, their moral compass is so their moral. They left their moral compass somewhere in hell. You know, like it's it's easy to see how they would try to manipulate and play the victim and use every advantage that they can to do that. You know, like mm-hmm. there are people that just they thrive on manipulation. Sure, and one thing that's important to note here is that. She used this as self-defense. She said it was self-defense. There was never any evidence of um, physical abuse. She never went to the doctor. She never reported it. She never told any of her friends about it. She never, you know, none of Travis's friends had any indication. Or photographed it because if she was taking pictures all the time. Right. So I just want to give a couple of highlights of the trial. My mom's a defense attorney. And I listened to enough uh, crime podcasts, watch enough true crime, that it's not advisable for the defendant to take the stand because they can rip you apart. The prosecution will rip you apart. You have to be able to withstand cross-examination. So Jody takes the stand. And one thing that's really interesting is that in Arizona, it's one of the few states where jurors can submit questions to ask the defendant should they be put on the stand. And, excuse me... So it's not like, why, you know, what's your perfect Sunday? It's questions about, obviously, the crime. So because of this and because of the defense uh, questioning her and then the cross-examination and then the jurors' questions, Jody spent 18 days on the stand. The jury's foreman, William uh, Zervakos, Vakos, later said that that killed her credibility and hurt her because she was telling all these different stories. She wasn't consistent. The, the officers testified how flippant and combative she was during, uh, during questioning that she admitted to stabbing and shooting him. But then later she said she only remembered accidentally shooting him. And then later she was like, I drove to the desert. And then later she said it was a home invasion. Then she said, uh, it was in self-defense. Did she have any diagnoses? They they did bring experts on the stand. A psychologist, Richard Samuels, he defended uh, for nearly, he actually testified for nearly six days. And he said that she had, she went into fight or flight response and that she had PTSD. And it doesn't really hold weight. Like she didn't have a di- diagnosis where she'd have dissociative personality disorder or schizophrenia or something that would put her into a psychosis. I mean, PTSD, sh- sure, you'll go into fight or flight really quickly, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, you're not going to be aware of what you're doing when you go into an episode. And another, there's a, the clinical psychologist expert for the prosecution, uh, Janine DeMarte. She said that 
after examining areas, she found no evidence of PTSD or amnesia. So it comes down to a point where you have to decide who you're going to believe, which expert. But but Demarde did say that she had borderline personality disorder, um, an unstable sense of unstable sense of identity. But again, in fear of abandonment, borderline has a lot of borderline borderline sufferers of borderline personality disorder have fear of abandonment. They don't have a solid self identity. I mean, which could explain why she would just join the Mormon church, you know, just because, or like get involved in these relationships. It does not explain murder and amnesia and fight or flight. Anyways, I'm just gonna, cause we're running long on my story. I'm just going to get, get to the point where we find that the jury found her. You want to guess? Not guilty of all charges except for everything. Correct. She was found guilty of first degree murder. So the penalty phase was interesting. They had to declare a, a mistrial because the jurors were locked. It was 11, 11 to 1 for the death penalty. And Jody even said, if I did this, if I'm guilty, I want the death penalty because I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in prison. I'm going to call your bluff. Right. So the judge declared it a mistrial uh, because obviously because the jurors couldn't come to a conclusion, but the judge did sentence her to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Sounds like a Lincoln lawyer novel. (laughs) It could be. That's why, I mean, this, the media frenzy around this, this was the biggest case since Casey Anthony, which maybe we'll get there with Florida. Well, I mean, this reminds me of, um, the fifth, the fifth juror. Yes. Yes. Wait, what's that? The Lincoln lawyer novel. I see. I, Totally. So I have to make a confession. A lot of times I pretend like I've heard something or I know something and I sound confident about it. And then I have to stop and be like, wait, Lizzie, you don't have to live that way anymore. You can be honest about knowing, not knowing something. <laughs> so. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was the, the fifth witness. The fifth witness. So there have been appeals and, uh, Michael Connolly is the author. So I want to give a shout out to Michael Connolly because that's that. Whoa. He's I would have to get author. into that. I love, I love books. I love reading. Okay. So they're appealing, they're appealing and nobody will, nobody wants to hear it. Everyone's upholding it. So finally they take it to the Arizona Supreme court on May 29, 2013. They said, we're not going to hear this appeal. We are going to uphold the conviction. So now, uh, as of July 6, 2018, her current attorneys, uh, have filed a 324 page appeal seeking her murder conviction to be overturned. And it doesn't say the reasonings I need to, I'd have to look that up, but I'm not in the mood to right now. Here's my question though. Like, Who's paying all these lawyer fees? Like, like you know, like, uh, you know, legal aid societies and, you know, like legal clinics, you know, they do such amazing work for people that can't afford and don't have access to legal services. But, like, maybe she has some secret, like, you know, like guy that loves jail chicks or whatever. Like, like. <laughs> okay, I, I have to correct myself. Uh, the... Judge did not declare a mistrial. The jurors were deadlocked. The the defense 
uh, filed a motion for a mistrial and the judge denied it and sentenced her. That makes more sense. I am sorry, listener. So, viewer, <laughs> person, the we got third. Bot. Our, yes, whoever you are. So, anyways, uh, so the moral of the story is this. If a dude and you don't work out, maybe just go home and get some revenge sex and then like maybe have sex with his best friend or something and then post that on social media and then move on. But it's okay. He already in my deep. <laughs> so anyways, I, I just, I wish I could, I could talk about this forever. Do you, there's so much, there was a media frenzy. So there's so much about this. There's so much about this. So I couldn't possibly include every detail. So listener, I mean, my favorite murder did an episode on this. Um, I believe let's go to court did an episode on it. I'm not through with their catalog. They're in a, a great podcast. Shout out MFM shout out. Let's go to court. Shout out all of the podcasts I listen to. Anyways, I love podcasts. Did you know that? Anyways, so the media frenzy, there was no way I could cover all the information. I mean, the trial was insane. The circumstances were insane. Everything was insane. And I love it. I love it. I cannot wait to jump further down this rabbit hole because I love true crime and I find murder fascinating and it's weird and crazy but it's it's just me it's me you guys don't even this literally blends perfectly into my story oh wonderful yes okay Tommy's turn I get to sit back and relax and give really funny quips okay so I'm gonna tell you guys a story I'm painting a word picture. Here's 1986. Okay. That's the year I was born. It's a hot, sizzling summer day in the deserts of Arizona. A young, attractive guy is flipping burgers at a burger joint. Is this Tommy? You were six years old. I was, yeah, I was, I was seven. Oh my God. So, oh, dust. Um, <laughs> so, a young, handsome man is flipping burgers, wearing a bandana. It's 1986. When a whole gaggle of muscle cars rolls up on the burger joint, and he gets a little nervous. And they start slapping him around, picking on him, just being pure bullies. And the hot chick in the car, who's clearly suffering from what we now would consider, you know, battered woman syndrome, and or Stockholm Syndrome, um, convinces her boyfriend to stop picking on him. And she talks to him for a moment. And then they go back to a little flashback. And it's very gruesome. And cut back to random scenes. Now, all of a sudden, this super futuristic race car shows up. What? Mm-hmm. Because now the, the little gang of, of miscreants and their muscle cars, you know, they all go their separate ways. And this, Is it a DeLorean? 
Almost. Is Doc Brown in there? No. no. There's a ghost in the car. What? Now, if you already know what movie I'm talking about. No. So the super futuristic race car stops next to the next muscle car. And the guy gets out wearing a big giant motorcycle helmet. And he's driving this crazy souped up futuristic car that was made by Chrysler. It was a Dodge M4S Turbo, right? And it was the it was the prototype for what became like the Dodge um, sports car. They're a little four cylinder. It was really made by Mitsubishi. But that's me getting go turning into a muscle head. So anyway, Tommy likes all kinds of head. So the futuristic race car driver challenges the muscle, the, the wacko muscle car drivers, right? And they race, and these guys fight dirty. So they're running down the road, very fast and furious, but 1986 style, right? Kind of like, kind of like Fast and Furious meets Mad Max or whatever. Now the futuristic car gets lights up and it's all special effects or whatever, and it zooms ahead after it gets cut off or whatever. And then as the race car, the, the, the guys, the bad guys racing down the road comes, the guy in the sports car gets out of the car and he's got a giant big ass shotgun and he shoots the crap out of the muscle car guy. What is going on? More flashbacks. Now, <laughs> turns out that burger guy who's totally gay, I mean, maybe he's not, but I mean, like, this is one of, like, my first kind of, like, movie crushes. I was like, he's so cute. Oh, my God, I love him. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like one of those moments where it's like, I'm seven, and I'm like, I know something's wrong here. That's something's wrong. I know that, th that this is wrong. I don't want to be right kind of moments because it was like, so, anyways, new boy shows up in town on a motorcycle. It's Charlie Sheen. Oh, I know that name. Charlie Sheen is the Wraith. And he comes back from the dead in the new body of Charlie Sheen to avenge his death from the gang of, sport of muscle car drivers that killed him and stole his girlfriend. This is the most ridiculous movie plot I've ever heard of. Not, no, not the most, but it's pretty ridiculous. So now, but now the fun thing is like there's some comic relief because there's these two tweakers in the movie that like get high on like gasoline and all this other stuff. And now this movie was filmed in Tucson, mostly in Tucson. And like, so I've been there. So, so do you know the hotel in downtown Tucson? Yeah. So, you know, the little underpass. Yes. This is all in the movie. Uh -huh. so now, when I moved to Tucson, and I'm, you know, my ex is giving me like the tour or driver around. I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. I know this tunnel. I know this tunnel. <laughs> this is from the movie The Wraith. <laughs> like this is one of my like 80s nostalgia favorite movies. Cause it's just so far out there. You know, it's like, it's Star Wars in the desert kind of, you know, or something like that. Like it's got a very Crow-esque story, you know, vengeance, you know, you know, post-mortem revenge, all that stuff. So I just wanted to give a shout out to my, one of my favorite movies that was filmed in Arizona. Um, long story, you know, he gets revenge on all the bad guys. He gets his girlfriend back, who's totally okay with the fact that he's come back from the dead and is in a new body that looks like Charlie Sheen in 1980s. <laughs> you know, not that the original guy wasn't hot too, but like, you don't really, you know, like, all right, who are you? Like, what's who are you in this movie? Oh, I, I play Charlie Sheen's character before he gets killed. <laughs> Charlie Sheen, you know. Um, 
And so she ends, he ends up giving his little brother, his younger brother, the, the, the super re- souped up sports car or whatever like that. And now turn to a, you know, to a big old, you know, gearhead here for a minute. The, that car, like I'm a car, like, I mean, I was obsessed with Knight Rider. I was, so like that car was like, wow, what is that? You know, like it wasn't a Firebird or anything like that, but like, it was just, it was just a really, really cool car. And it was like one of the first um, um, turbocharged four-cylinder sports cars. It was, and it was, oh, it was a mid-engine too. So this is like when people were starting to become aware of the fact that like, you know, you could get a really fast car out of a four-banger as opposed to like, you know, your, you know, big muscle V8s and stuff. Do that news, uh, do that noise again, please. <laughs> And that's a Mustang, you know, each car, you know, cars are, uh, cars are acoustically tuned to have a sound. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So like, uh, you're like a Honda SI will have a, or I don't know if that's a Honda, but like, but like that, that's a Mustang and like a Camaro's got its own. Tommy, I'm learning so much about you. Number one, that you're like into cars, and number two, that you're really good at sound effects. <laughs> I am. Um, I, I used to drive my mom crazy. Movie Police. Yeah. That one character. Police Academy. <laughs> yes, Police Academy. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, so now I just showed you pictures of that car. Mm-hmm. How freaking cool looking was that car? It's pretty amazing. Now, to a seven year old boy who likes cars and likes hot boys, <laughs> It was a perfect it has movie. It has everything. It has everything. What's exactly. the name of the movie? The Wraith. Oh, like Wraith, like a ring race. Like, yeah, like a vengeful spirit. Yes. Yeah, because that's, that's what it was. That's what a wraith is. Yeah. So now. And if you're a ring wraith, you're a vengeful spirit after the ring, the one ring who rules them all. <laughs> I Look, the Lord of the Rings just it was <laughs> not my, I like more sci-fi. I, I, I you know. And I mean, and I get it. It's great. But like, I just, I never got into it. Just be careful what you say. This may end our friendship. I read the choose your own story tale and I've read one of the book. I mean, and I, the books are amazing. Choose your own story tale. What are you talking about? One of the Hobbit, one of like the first, you know, you know, you, you, you read up to a certain page and you have two options. Was it like a fan fiction? No, no, it was by it was by the author. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Tolkien never wrote, wrote Tol- a choose-your-own-adventure. Yes, he did. Tolkien was too good for that. He was a professor at freaking Oxford or Cambridge. One of, I think Oxford. Are you looking it up? Because I'm yeah. looking it up. Maybe it was a fan. Maybe it was an authorized. Yes. Okay. I, yes. Anyway. Okay, let's get back to your story. Okay, so... That was just a fluff for my real story. Because I figured there was just a, it was just like, I just, I really wanted to like give like a good geeky shout out to some 80s nostalgia. Because like 80s nostalgia is so big right now. And like, it was just, you got to watch the movie. Now, I want you to watch the movie. It's only an hour and a half. Okay. So like, just, you know, and I don't mean like pay attention to it, just like zone out and then tell me how right I am in describing the movie. Like there's a scene in the lazy river where they're floating and everything like that. It sounds nuts. It, it, it was the eighties, man. Come on. We had talking cars, you know, like True. this car didn't talk though. It just had a really big shotgun. Um, anyway, 
so now here's my real story. So now. <laughs> I was like, where is he going with this? I love <laughs> it. I love it. Go ahead. Continue. This right, is great. So this is great radio. Now, I want you to picture Arizona way before there was a highway for them to film the Wraith. Okay. <laughs> way before Charlie Sheen was born. Actually, let's start all the way back in Germany. Okay. It's the year 1808. Okay. A young man by the name of Jacob Waltz was born. And he looked around and said, there are no prospects here. I have to go west. Your German <laughs> accent is great. <laughs> Where are your papers? Cabaret is one of my favorite musicals. But you did <gasps> not you. do a musical reference in this episode. I know. I'm very disappointed in myself. I love Cabaret. That's my favorite. I almost wrote a song. It was like, Jody Arias gonna kill her boyfriend. Jody Arias. Let me stab, 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 27 times. There's my musical quote. He had it coming. <laughs> anyway. No, that's copyrighted. I know. All right. So the, 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 the Wild West in the 19th century, right? Would it be the 19th century? Because it was the 1800s. Yeah, that's how you. So, you know, there were prospects. People were flocking. America was this new land. Europe was overpopulated. There was disease. There was famine. Hey, there's a bunch of people who only have, you know, Bows and arrows, we can totally clear them out, you know. And by the way, yesterday was a national um, indigenous. indigenous people day and shout out to all the national indigenous people. And I love that they're doing that to take back Columbus Day. And I mean, as, a, as an Italian person, like, you know, like we're taught in American history, like how, you know, he discovered America. Like, no, he didn't. Yeah, yeah. There were already people here. Yeah. The Vikings were here. We have evidence but, of that going back centuries Yeah, before. not only had Europeans already been here, a.k.a. the Vikings, but there were people living here for thousands upon thousands of years yeah. before Columbus showed up and said, oh, this is China. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, I found China. But so now, you know, having charted ways and making, you know, America started blowing up, basically. You know, in population, you know, people started coming here in masses because there was opportunity here. So now America was already founded, these territories, you know. So Arizona at this time was still part of Mexico, mm -hmm. right? But now, so Arizona has, um, there were gold mines. There are gold mines. There's history of gold mines in Arizona going back from the, the native tribes in Mexico, right? Um, Mexico City, the, um, the Aztecs and stuff like that. Apparently that's where a lot of the Aztecs got their gold. They come all the way into Arizona and mine. And it was their territory. It was their Perfect. land. Arizona is known for having some copper mines, a lot of copper mines. Um, which apparently they don't mine. That's a whole other story. That, that's a geopolitical, economical, whatever stuff. But there's also a lot of fool's gold, mm -hmm. um, which is um, pewter, right? Pewter's fool's gold. No, it's... Oh, man. Brain fart. It's pyrite. Py what did I say it was? Pewter. Oh. What is pewter, then? Thing. It's like metal. Yeah. Pewter gold. All right, anyways. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, okay, so so there was a lot of fool's gold mines in Arizona and all that sort of stuff, but now, do you ever hear the, say, the phrase, there's gold in them, there hills? Sure. Okay, so that phrase 
comes from this old legend of the Lost Dutchman. Okay. So in north of Phoenix, there's this call, it's called the Superstition Mountains. And there's a lot of old mining towns, there's ghost towns, all that other stuff. And so I love that stuff. I think that stuff is so cool. I love, I mean, Arizona, Arizona is one of the only states is like that has all four ecosystems or whatever. You have desert, you have mountain something or whatever. Um, there's some, there's no coastal plain. There's no coastal plain, but because of, because of the, the mountains, you get, you get snow and you get, you get ton, you get winter tundra. Oh yeah. You get desert tundra and something. And there's also a lake. There's a lake though. There's a couple lakes. Just FYI. Yeah. Texas has all of the ge- geological formations. Well, Texas is huge. I mean, you're coastal plains, great plains, mountainous region, desert, other ones, plateaus, mesas. Texas has the Yankees. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so, anyway. but I actually, so, I've been skiing in Flagstaff, Stat Flagstaff, Arizona. It's really nice. Oh, well, yeah. So yeah, Good skiing. yeah, I've been to Mount Lemon. I don't, I don't, I don't do winter sports. I don't like the cold. Except you live in New York and you moved from Phoenix to, or Tucson I, to New York. I know. Listen, I'm, I'm a 90 year old living in Naples, Florida on the inside. And you lived in Florida and I, now I, you're back in I New York. Florida. I know. I, I'm, I'm. You have no idea how miserable I'm going to be in a month. I can't wait for our podcast You'll audience so, here how miserable <laughs> he is. So the Pimas and the Apaches were known to mine, mine the gold in the, in the hills of Arizona, right? And what's considered now the Superstition Mountains, right? And so there was a the Perleta family, which was a Mexican family. I guess they were kind of like, you know, socialites or aristocrats or something like that. And they owned the mining rights and they would mine. They knew where this mine was, where they would mine gold. And apparently the last big mine pull before Arizona became part of the U S was done in 19 was done in 1848. Okay. So, and according to the legend, a party was ambushed by Apaches and were killed. And, um, except for two of the Perleta family members and they were able to make it back to Mexico. And the area is known today as the massacre grounds. Yeah, because apparently this was like a big slaughter because the Apaches knew that these and, and the Mexicans at the time were Spanish were, were yeah. Spanish descent. These were Spaniards. They were Spaniards, were, not Mexicans. Yeah, you know, like little history for you. You know, like uh, you know, we're only arguing with more European people not to come in our country, but we just we don't like the ones with tans. <laughs> <laughs> so now, basically, the the um the 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 miners got ambushed. They stole a bunch of the gold. Um, and for years, nobody went back or whatever like that, but there's supposedly this lost mine that was, that is a cornucopia or a, just a, like a deep, it's a deep well of just really good, pure gold. Right. And so this is how the legend is born. Uh, You know, known as the Paraleta mine. Honestly, cornucopia wasn't the exact correct adjective, but it's such a great word that I'll allow it. All right. I appreciate that. I mean, it's, there's. An abundant. There we go. There we go. An abundant sprout. Okay, so it's known as the Paraletta. The Paraletta families and the family that owned. Paraletta. Paraletta. Yeah. Okay. And they were killed at what's now called the Massacre Grounds. And it was called the Paraletta Mine. Paraletta. And so the Dutchman is Jacob Waltz. And he said he had found the Wait, can you please do Jacob's name in a German accent? 
Jacob Voltz. Love it. Jacob Voltz. Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome, Jacob Voltz. So, Jacob Voltz, he's... So now, we, you know, whatever world history thing, like, Germans, that region, they were just considered Dutch, right? Right. Because they all spoke the same language or something like that. Like, you know, there's... Deutschland. Deutschland. Speaking the Deutsch. So... The Lost Dutchman is this miner who went out west, came to America for some prospects and all that other stuff. And I guess he went broke, you know, because he supposedly he found the mine. He knew where the mine was, but he became ill after an injury and he could never go back. And because of the massacre and all this other stuff and all of the um, the people that would disappear looking for these gold mines... Like they were said that people would go out into the desert and they would never come back. And like, as of, t- I'll get into like to that like to, to modern day um, Dutchman. Okay, wait. So, do you think Jacob Voltz could he have been the wraith originally? Maybe he's the original wraith. I'm tying it back in. I love that. Um. Yes, this is going to be a movie. It's going to be the wraith to the return of Jacob Voltz. Voltz. Vesme. Who's got my gold? <laughs> Where's my gold nuggets? And he and he pulls up and he goes, "This is my oh man, I can't see." Every accent I try to do ends up sounding like a Hispanic accent, <laughs> unless I'm singing it or quoting something. It's weird. Yeah, I can't pull it out of the whole cloth. Like I can, if I'm quoting something, I can do the accent perfectly. Really? Yeah. See, I can jump into it. Okay. Anyway. Don't have the power. <laughs> I couldn't move her faster if I got out and pushed. Oh, we bit lassie. <laughs> oh, okay, so Jacob Valt. Welcome to he my... Gets... <laughs> All right, sorry. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm good with accent. You are. I'm so excited. This is, we're going to make use of it. <laughs> after, after forever. So now... Subsequent searchers for looking for the mine over throughout the years have met with, met with foul play. Now, most recently, a hiker in what year was this? Paper shuffle, paper shuffle, paper shuffle, paper shuffle. I, I did my homework. I was really he did. He did way better than I did this time. Because I remember, you know, I, I just remember hearing this in Arizona. I remember cartoons where it was, there's gold in them, there hills, or is there? there Superstition mountains death to the Phoenix. People have died trying to find her. Um, so. In 2009, Denver bellhop Jesse Capeman, obsessed with finding the Lost Dutchman gold mine, took a month's vacation in the Superstition Mountains outside of Phoenix to search for that legendary treasure. And I said that way too fast. So do it, just do it. It took three years to find his body. Wait, okay, so in 2009, this bellhop. A bellhop from Denver named Jesse Capen, who was obsessed with the Lost Dutchman legend and the gold mine, went out looking for the gold. He took a month off so that he could go camping, hiking in the desert, looking for this gold mine. Whoa. He fell down a 180-foot cliff. Oh, baby. They found his skeletal remains at the bottom of it. Now, because of this, now they've put laws into place since the 80s that you're not allowed to prospect any gold out of these national forests, these national parks, because they know that there's gold out there or something, but like, it's just, it's, 
it's treacherous. It's dangerous. It literally people die trying to find this gold. So like they tell people do not attempt to go looking for this gold between April and October because it's just too hot. And okay. I mean, and you know, Arizona, like, yeah. it gets 120 degrees sometimes Please. easily, you know, and then it gets freezing at night. Yes. Drops. It doesn't. You know, yeah. Or that part of Arizona is a desert. Yeah. yeah. So now, you know, you can't really bring enough water with you. You can't bring in enough water. You know, you'd have to bring truck it in. And there's no way you can go hiking into these places where there are no trails. There's no, you know, they say, please do not do this between these months. And if you're going to be stupid, don't go alone. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's another thing that's really important. Don't go hiking by yourself, especially in places where like there's a lot of natural you know, there's a lot of native creatures, you know, like mountain lions. And coyotes. And scorpions. And, and scorpions and sidewinders and rattlesnakes. Oh, and gosh. Yeah, oh, my God. My friend's dog got bit by a rattle. Oh, my gosh. I don't even want to talk about it. Do not tell me about that. I don't want to hear that story. I will rather hear about Travis Alexander getting stabbed 20 No, she's alive. Well, she's, she's not. She's, you know, they, they, they rushed her to the emergency room. <gasps> it was like a scabillion dollars for the vaccine. The antivenom. Yeah, the antivenom. She got, you know, she had a scar on her on her mouth from where the bite was, you know. But you know, she survived. survived. That's lovely. That's very lovely. That, I'm sorry I, for trying to cut you off. That's okay. That doggy saved my life when I went camping in Alaska because you have to have a dog with you for the bears, and she would start <gasps> when the bears came near. Mm-hmm. So we'd run back into the house. Wow, her- Tommy, this you got some. Story. Oh yeah. Oh God. I'll tell you about the plane, the flight. That that. You would never guess this man is only forty because the way he tells stories, he's like he's lived a full lifetime. Just my dad gave me that advice. Life is short. Take opportunity. You know, like I've lived a really colorful life, and I'm really blessed and thankful for that. And you know, there are some prices to pay because Lord knows I have seen crazy. But Lord J- knows I've seen crazy in the mirror. Do you think Jacob Vulps? So crazy in the mirror. Uh, that was a pretty good. Yeah, so crazy in the mirror. <laughs> I will still keep digging for the gold. Who can restore me to sanity? <laughs> so now, here's the thing that makes this even more treacherous. There's a lot of magnetic rock in the desert where this mine is supposed to be. And supposedly from geologist studies, like... This type of rock doesn't form where this gold is supposed to be found. Mm-hmm. So like people say that there, there shouldn't be gold out there. But we all know how much gold Spain stripped out of, you know, the Aztecs and Native, you know, there's gold. There's gold there. Yeah. Lots of gold. You know, anyways, long story short, magnetic rock fouls up the compasses there. So like if you're trying to go hike. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I was like, magnetic rock, you're going to get, your your belt is going to get stuck to it and you'll be stuck there and die. Obviously, <laughs> I'm ridiculously silly. <laughs> no, it's like you're going to lose north. You're not going to know which way north is. You know what I mean? You could be hiking, you know, five miles in and then you go to go five miles out and you go back, You instead of going back the opposite direction, you go back, you know, a 90 degree turn. Mm-hmm. Before you know it, dead. you're dead. You know, the, the coyotes are following you for three days going, he ain't going to make it. Coyotes are circling you. He, oh, that's the last drip of water. And he about 10 miles from, he about to be eaten. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I don't know what accent that was, but I don't know. But they're sassy. I like the sassy coyote. That was a sassy coyote. And it says right here, most people don't take enough water, and they all they often wear slacks or shorts and flat shoes. It's like you're hiking in the desert. Like I would my I would go hiking every other couple of days in Arizona, and like just the short hikes. Like you need hiking shoes. You need mm-hmm. water. You need to be prepared. Yeah. And like we would have to go hiking. Like I remember my ex would wake me up and be like six in the morning. He's like, "Come on, we're going hiking," and I'm like, "What?" Six in the morning. Are there bagels on this hike? Like, <laughs> here's another story. Now, there's this guy who has been obsessed with the Lost Dutchman for years. And he talks about how in, he first heard of the Lost Dutchman from a cover of a story in life in 1937 when he was 16. And he visited Phoenix for the first time in the 1950s. And he took his two boys with him to Superstition Mountain hiking, hoping to find the treasure. After a while, his son spotted somebody watching them. And they kept seeing reflections of some type of metallic thing, like a pistol or something. And he said he's sure that somebody was stalking them. Folks have claimed all over those mountains and would commonly fire warning shots to scare trespassers. And even now and then murder murder those that they thought were seeking the Dutchman's gold. Nobody goes in there unarmed. So, like, there's people there that apparently, like, still defend this little spot. Now... There's no reference to like this sounding relevant yet, right? Like right. it's just like it's just some old man on his deathbed that tells people that, you know, he knows there's gold in them their hills. Right. On his deathbed though, he gave the location to this woman this woman that took care of him. And when he died, they were going through his stuff and they found a matchbox four and a half inches by a half inches made of pure solid gold no way jewelry that has been made of the gold that he had he had chunks of gore of gore of gold ore he had some one of it turned into a matchbox and this is gold from the mine how how, can they prove that it's from the mine so so, so he worked for the Peralita family right okay okay and so he was on one of the expeditions. So he knows that the mine was real. So the mine is real. The mine is established in his, his historical fact that there's a gold mine there. So there's a historical documentation proving that the Paralitas from Mexico own this mine, own the rights to this mine. And then I guess somehow, like over the years with, with the with the Native American wars with the Apaches and stuff like that, like people just they were defending the land, keeping people out, and. On his deathbed, he revealed that not only did he steal some of the gold from the Paralita family in the last chunk of it that came out. So, like, the rumor... So, the speculation is that he might have been, like, oh, you know, one of those Wild West cowboys that, like, robbed... That was part of the team that might have robbed the, the last expedition. Or he was a miner working for the family on one of the previous expeditions. Because that's what people would do for work. You know, you right. go, you find, you know, a labor job, you know, and sure. that's how you pay your bills. And... So he knows, so he died knowing where the gold was, where the mine was. This old man. This old man. Not Jacob Vault. Yeah, Jacob Vault. This is Jacob Vault. Jacob Vault. So Jacob Vault on his deathbed says, And I have all this gold. Check it out. Yeah. So that's why it's called, because I was wondering why it was called the Lost Dutchman. Why? So because he's the last person to have officially declared to have known where the mine was and had gold from the mine. Um, so the the Lost Dutchman, the the legend of the Lost Dutchman is one of those just American legends 
people still travel to the desert all the time trying to seek them. Like there's been, people have found, you know, they haven't officially been authenticated, but there's a lost Dutchman mine museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's supposed to be placard stoners that are found that, that say the Pasca, the, 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 um, the Paralata family mine, like in like directions mm-hmm. to the mine. This is one of those just beautiful American folklore stories. Like if this doesn't entice you to go out to see Arizona, like, the, the legend of the lost Dutchman. Then Jody Arias will. Exactly, right? Or the, the Wraith. The Wraith, obviously. <laughs> not to be confused with Ring Wraith. No, not, not Ring Wraith, yes. Or The Ring. God, that, that, that movie scared the crap out of me. So, Did you see Ringu, the Japanese version of it? Yes. That was best. Anyway. Oh, I'll, you know. Japanese film. When that girl climbed out of the movie screen. That was creepy. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, all right. So now, Jacob Waltz, the lost Dutchman, was born in 1808 in Germany. He died on October 13th in Phoenix, Arizona, Maricopa County. Um, What year? 2019? In 1891. Uh, Wow. He lived a while. Yeah. He lived. Yeah. He died. He he was almost 83 when he died. There's gold in them. There's gold in the hills if you follow the map to where I... (laughs) Bring me back my little hosens. <laughs> oh, my little hosens and the gold in my little hosens. <laughs> I top of the morning to you. That's Irish. I am coming here. Top of the morning to you. I heard about your gold. I am. Why? <laughs> I'm cutting that. Yeah, we're going to have to. We're I'm gonna cutting ha- that. We're cutting a lot of this. All right, so now there's also the Weaver Needle, which is a well-known landmark, which was um, Weezer was killed by Apaches, or according to some, by the Waltz family. So apparently, I mean, there's all kinds of murder and mystery. Like, this is one of those things where, like, there's so much information out there. You could, There's books on this. There's the Lost Dutchman book stories. Like, there's, there's just, it's just great American folklore that's based in a lot of reality because this is you know we're talking about something that people still go hiking and dying for you know go hiking go look for the gold go bring your kids just bring water and bring a gun you know like you know like or a dog or go on a tour you know like you know go to go to check out the museum check out the lost dutchman museum have they ever found it no, apparently they still have not found it, and they still try to lead expeditions. They're still docu- they make documentaries all the time. They probably you make know. a stupid reality show about it, where they find like a speck of gold dust, and they're like, <gasps> yeah, like next week on the Dutchman's gold. This, yeah, exactly. Let's reenact the scene and act like we had no idea how. Right. I'm so upset right now. I'm going to bang things for reality-based television skits. <laughs> And then they look over and there's the film crew for the Bigfoot show. <laughs> I mean, okay. All right. Hey, Jerry. You know Bigfoot sound guy. Hey, Jerry. You know hey, dude. Tommy. Ta- that story was great. Thank you. You just like cut me off the knees. I was so into it. So they never found the gold. They never found the gold. And they still go looking for it, though. That's great. I think we should go on a podcast field trip. Yeah, we should definitely. find there's, it. There's old mines here. Oh, yeah. But we got to go to Arizona because the episode is about Arizona. This is it. We're in Arizona right now. We are in Arizona. We are in Flagstaff right now. No, we're we're staying at the lodge at Mount Lemmon. Yes. There's ice and snow all out because there's ice. Lots of snow and ice. 
Everywhere we go. Well, that was really good. Arizona iced so, teas. Arizona. Product placement. Sponsorship. That's right. Arizona iced tea. Arizona, we love you. Love mucho mango, baby. We love it. Uh, Tommy, would you like to tell the people or person who is listening what our next state will be? Yes, viewers. <laughs> our next state is going to be Michigan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Michigan. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> I'm good at So next week we'll be doing Michigan. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Eric. And we'll check back in with you next week. And we'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the folks that made it possible for us to tell you these fascinating stories. My sources are Cowboys and Indians, a the premier magazine of the West for the Legend of the Lost Dutchman Mine, which is by Dan Gleason, written January of 2018. Uh, DesertUSA.com, The Legend of the Lost Dutchman, where I found a lot of my information on that. And then find FindAGrave.com for information on Jacob Waltz, the Lost Dutchman himself. Great. And my sources for this episode were the several, a series of articles uh, on Huffington Post written by uh, David Lore, uh, the 48 Hours episode, Picture Perfect. And I pulled a lot of information um, from the actually really well-cited wikipedia.org page on the murder of Travis Alexander. So. Oh, and I'm sorry. One more source. IMDb for The Wraith. Oh, yes. yes. The Wraith starring Charlie Sheen. Writer, written by Mike Marvin. Starring Charlie Sheen, Nick Cassavetes, Cheryl F- Sherilyn Fenn. And... The production studio was. Is it even showing me who produced this? Hmm. Oh, there's a 2017 Wraith? What? There was a remake? <laughs> I am on that. Um, I'm leaving were... all of this in, by the way. <laughs> um, okay. Pinduers Canada, also in the box office. Budget. Two million seven hundred opening weekend. Wow, it made it had a decent. Okay, so it was New Century Entertainment Corporation, Alliance Entertainment, and Turbo Productions were the producers of the Wraith. There we go. That's it. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. If you like us, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back next week, and until then, don't forget to stick to the, to the state, state of quo. quo.